Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Why, why are you asking about the ice pack on the back of my head? Why am I asking band? about your yeah. ice pack? Because I usually usually wear it on the I usually wear it on the uh, front. So I've never seen it on the see, back. Uh, the issue is, are, are you talking about like <laughs> working or on the line, you know, when chefs wear the ice packs around their uh, neck during the hots. Anyways, hey everyone. Oh uh, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, I have a shitty skull, uh, <laughs> musculoskeletal problems, and this is my new workaround. I discovered. I'm like, oh my god, I have a headband that has a pouch. Well, I'm going to put one of my cooler nice. ice packs back there so that uh, I'm cool as a cucumber right now. It was a thing when you popped up on Zoom. I was like, that's a new look. Yeah. And then I was like, wait a <laughs> second. I also have snacks back there. <laughs> hey, Jim, welcome to Sidework Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. You're welcome. Yeah, and everybody right. else, everybody else out there, welcome to Sidework Podcast. Uh, I'm your host Andrea Wallace, and I'm your host Brooke Van Poplin. And joining us today, first time on the pod, we tried to get you on about a year ago, but some things have changed. But uh, comedian yeah. and local <laughs> bar and restaurant purveyor Jim Van Blericum, everybody, hello, hello, hello. glad to Hi, be Jim. here. Jim. I have heard so much about you, and we just never have crossed paths, so it's finally nice to meet yeah, you. Yeah, same. Thanks for having me. We got a lot of friends in common. Um, <laughs> we do. We do. And uh, yeah, so it just, I swear to God, yeah, so like a year ago, we tried to podcast with you, and then the pandemic hit, and you, mm-hmm. you know, things got a little busy for you in a different way, or non-busy. Interesting. Yeah, I think we might be cursed. I think... You reached out about a week before the pandemic. <laughs> and then last time you reached out a week before we were going to record on the day of the yes. Capitol siege. So oh. I think the universe might be telling us that this is a bad the, idea right here. Well, let's, we're doing it now. Yeah. So I guess I guess we'll just wait and see. Let's keep we'll going. Like looking happens. around for <laughs> improvised explosive we, devices in my home. Hopefully we're good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and of course, we we, we record uh, prior to, obviously, the day that we put out. So today is the last day of the current administration, which is pretty good, which is pretty good. It doesn't feel real. <laughs> I still don't trust my capacity to feel joy where I'm like, oh, I'll feel happy maybe in a few months from now that it's over. Oh, the minute I see the new radicals reunited on that stage to sing you get what you give, that's going to be everything for me. I, I, if you guys don't know anything about Andrea, your side work podcast host, she fucking loves that song so much. That's like my drunk party anthem. 
Like, so I'm very excited that that will, that song will be represented at the inauguration ball tomorrow. <laughs> I had no idea, but that's incredible. That is, when I was, isn't it? When I was like 19, I applied to work at a Kinko's and I made a video resume with like a little version of myself dancing around. And that was the song I chose. So yes, there's that. Yes. That's something about me. And you actually do get what you give because you're making copies of things at Kinko. So it's like you're you're getting exactly what you get. <laughs> we we primarily, as you know, like this is a service industry podcast focused around restaurants and bars, coffee shops. You know, sometimes we do counter service and fast food as well. We are all brothers and sisters under this umbrella. Um, but I, I really would like to talk to a Kinko's employee one day also about what that job's like. Uh, I think it'd be really important to get a Kinko's customer and their complaints lined up with a Kinko's employee so that we could settle the score once and for all. What the fuck is ever happening at a Kinko's? I've had so many embarrassing public meltdowns trying to get things printed and no one wants to help you ever. But I, I'm also talking about the Kinko in Brooklyn, Kinko's in Brooklyn. So, yeah, it's hard. I feel like Kinko's is different, different than it used to be, too. Like Kinko's like 20 years ago is totally different than what what it is now, you know. And now your phone yeah, has, a, sure. has a. I think Kinko's is just working at Kinko's is probably like. Super, super boring 99% of the time. And then once in a while, you just get some super weird, creepy thing that pops up. Oh. So it's just like monotony and then terror and then monotony. Right. Like, that's my guess. Yeah. I am. And I imagine like when you worked there, it, it was a lot of like it, zines, like people being like, here's my monthly manifesto. I need 150 <laughs> copies of this uh, toot sweet. Uh <laughs> I know. <laughs> I would think I would think that'd be a thing. Uh, we just want to remind everyone, thank you again um, for subscribing, rating, and reviewing Sidework Podcasts over on Yon Apple Podcast Network. Uh, it it's great. It helps our show stay in the charts, and uh, we appreciate the nice little notes you leave us. Oh, you guys, we got some merch out there. If you didn't know, I know we've been talking about this for a while, but it's a new year. Why not done yourself with a brand new Establish an 86 Ringer a tee? <laughs> so cute. So sassy. Uh, or if you're, you know, you're like, fuck it. It's a new year. Let's redecorate. We have some beautiful posters, which have broken eyes, cartooned faces on them. Uh, our super fun logo. So hit us up. Uh, you can DM us over on the old Instagram. We're doing it kind old school you're like hey i want a t-shirt or a poster and then we'll get it to you so do it like that yeah good good <laughs> thing demand is low because that would not be a sustainable business model <laughs> if demand was high then we i we would switch it it'd be flipped you know exactly. but again we're just we're just slowly putting our slowly putting our feelers out there all right and then, uh, yeah, last thing is the Patreon. Thank you. We have almost 50 members, which is really cool. And our latest three uh, servers to join. We've got Rachel Soto, Elizabeth Lubell, and Liana Ilya. 
which is a beautiful name. Cool. It's not Liana Ilya. Liana Ilya. It sounds like one long superstar name, Liana Ilya. It's great. So <laughs> thank you guys for joining the Patreon. And uh, just a reminder, you guys can get on there for just $2.13 a month, which is server minimum wage. <laughs> you can pay us a little gratuity. Say thanks. I like the podcast. Love what you do. Don't want any extra of YouTube, dumb broads. Uh, for $5 or $10 a month, that's as much as we're asking. You can also join in, get extra content uh, at the $10 level. You get free merch, all sorts of fun shit. All right, enough about the Patreon. How about we jump into some headlines, everybody? All right, headlines, you guys. Uh, this is crazy. This happened uh, pretty much right after the episode dropped last week. And a bunch of you actually sent this to us. We'd already found it. But in Orlando, Florida, a manager at a restaurant noticed that a boy in a family of four that was seated on New Year's Day um, had bruises all over his face and arms. And they didn't look fresh. It looked like different layers of healing bruises, meaning they were probably ongoing, that this was not some new fresh accident. Um, and the people, apparently the guardians, the parents, whatever you call these monsters, uh, were not letting the 11-year-old boy order any food either. So the manager who worked there as a, as a waitress also, um, with utmost stealth, quickly acted. And in a way that the parents could not visually see, she was able to walk up to the table and basically sort of in a very covert way, show the boy a note that read, do you need help? And sort of point to, okay, if it was on there, she was basically just trying to keep it in his uh, line of sight. And so she did it the first time. He nodded no. Then she brought it again. And this time he was just like, yeah, which is just crazy and chilling. She immediately, um, you know, phoned the police, which is just so important at that moment, like very fast acting, reporting what she saw. Basically, the boy was extracted from the family. They found that he'd been suffering years of abuse. Um, just just. I don't want to get into how dark it is, but like she saved this boy's life. Absolutely saved this boy's life. And um, it's just one of the amazing things. We hear this all the time because servers, we see it all. Everyone has to go out to eat, every type of person. And you're seeing every walk of life. And sometimes you see mm -hmm. people who and need help ASAP. And this is one of those heartwarming tales that is as dark as it is at the top, like this kid is already out of the home. The parents are being charged. He's got a whole new life to look forward to is like the happiest he's been in years. And it's all thanks to this fast acting restaurant manager. That's totally amazing. I'm so, uh, so this is what this reminds me of is like when you're a server and now that there's less tables, I assume like because of COVID, when you have a moment as a server and you look and you do like the Terminator yes. scan of your section, yes. you know what I mean? And you're just like, this person needs a refill. That person probably needs ketchup. That's a young man that's being abused by his family. Like that's I think it was like that that Terminator like right. brain that kicked in. And thank God we can all read people that we've been trained for years to like see that people need help or need something. So uh, bravo. Fuck yeah. And I, I think too, like what was really smart is she immediately also identified it as a situation where like, we don't want to get the parents involved and ask weird questions in front of them. And it's just because then what they'll do is they'll, they'll not only run out on their tab, they'll take off. You'll never figure out who they were in the first place. And so to really 
quietly identify that this person was in trouble was just so fucking smart. Um, and again, her name is, and I hope I'm saying it right. It's Flavane Carvalho, which uh, I just, yeah, I just wanted to say her name out loud. You are a hero. I don't know what any thoughts on this, Jim. It's like the worst but best story I've seen. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a nightmare. Uh, I just, for whatever reason, I keep fixating on the name of the restaurant. It's Mrs. Potato. That's (laughs) just just somehow the weirdest part of this article for me. Uh, yeah, I know. I was like, listen. But yeah, I mean, it's it's great that she was able to like you know jump in and and save this kid. And it's yikes! Yeah, I don't know it's what a I good do. thing because it's Mrs. Potato, which means that there's eyes Hello. everywhere <laughs> <laughs> under his eye. More like Big under her eyes. eyes. Thank you. Um, well, let's jump into the next headline, you guys. So this one. <laughs> One more gut punch. Uh, yeah, Whole Foods cuts paid breaks from 15 to 10 minutes for thousands of workers, according to Eater. Thank you again, Eater, for shedding light on so much goodness and badness in the world. Um, so basically, when the pandemic began last March, grocery stores across the country were pressured into giving workers like essential pay, more protections, hazard pay. Now, guess what they're doing? Now they're basically saying that they they have to take at one time in their shift a 10 to 15 minute break, right? That's off the clock. Um, and basically, <laughs> it starts like when you say, I'm going to do it. And like it's the clock starts counting down then. It doesn't start like when you get to the break room. It's like basically the time it takes you to like leave the floor, go to the break room, which you could just be going to the bathroom at this point and getting a drink of water and then like back to your register. And that's your break. That's what they say your legal break is, Um, which is so fucked up for so many reasons, because there's so many state laws involved in this uh, and that should be disputing it. I assume. I mean, California alone, like legally, you have to have like a 30 minute break every eight hours. That's just that. Like, that's the fucking law. Well, yes, that's. Yeah, what I was reading is I think it's uh, you have to work over six hours to qualify for your 20 to 30 minute lunch break. And then in addition to this is like, you know, if someone wants a cup of coffee, if someone like seriously just wants to like stare at a wall and drink some water, you know, for a few minutes, you are legally entitled to these 15 minute paid rest breaks. And just the insult, you know, to have it go down from 15 minutes to 10, those five minutes make all the fucking mm-hmm. difference to some people. And they do have a workers union called Whole Workers, which have absolutely been making a ton of noise about how problematic this is, but they're being wholeheartedly ignored by the Whole Foods corporate company. And I just feel like this is so timely when you consider <laughs> that these grocery store workers have now been deemed for almost a year frontline essential workers and all they're doing is getting their ass kicked all day and let's even talk about the fact that like whole foods employees are battling it out with everyone in there from uh instacart and amazon shopping around them which that's like a whole new level of fucking bullshit that they have to deal with i would be like give them their 15 minutes to get away from the instacart guy for god's sake yeah it's 
it it's it, it, it's just one more thing you know i know a lot of people who work from home and have to be on zoom all day and like there's just no breaks like there's just this new level of expectancy from employers that you just don't stop moving during the pandemic and like everybody's just needs to be okay with it um and that is far from the truth we all have to have time to decompress from the sheer atrocity that is going on especially if you're wearing ppe on your body for hours and hours at a time it's really really difficult as someone who's had to do it to like wear a fucking two face masks and a shield on your head all day it's you need a break from that yeah and that makes the fact that they're including the time that you like leave the register to get to the break room even more egregious because you need time to like take your shield off and your mask and do it carefully in a way that's not going to contaminate yourself or others and like then eat your sandwich and then put it all back on for them to combine that. Yeah. It's yeah. So, it's and, and you have to go to the the special designated <clears throat> eating sandwich place, which we all know is there. Like everybody's like, there's a protocol for how you eat on your breaks, I assume. And that takes extra time as well to get to. Right. And the their justification that they're doing it to kind of even the regulation between the different states, it's like, well, then stick with 15 minutes. You know, like mm-hmm. even if the minimum state requirement right. is ten minutes, why, like you can still why do not 15. round up You're the one of the largest corporations on the planet. I think you can right. afford the extra five minutes of labor. Like, go fuck yourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Go fuck yourselves. Go fuck yourselves. I know. I didn't even stop. I didn't even stop to think how valuable in this time and place that just a fresh air break, a literal. Go find a safe place to take your mask off and breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's they're going to require a little more than 10 minutes to like we see how big some of these fucking Whole Foods are too. like to get all the way across the store out of it in the front or out back just where no one else is around to like, you know, where even your fresh air is probably out back by the dumpsters, um, you know, like give these people a fucking break. Yeah. Ugh. anyways, yeah. screw you, Whole Foods. Now I'm like. Now I'm angry because that's not. Yeah, well, it's not. It's not. It's just like, and you know, it's just like, think about how like Amazon workers in general are treated. It's all just being, it's all fucking trickle down, you know, or however you want to do it. It's, it's all of these like unethical fucking ways of treating your employees that are all just being like pushed upon Whole Foods now. And it took, you know, longer than normal, but here we are. Here we are. Fuck you. All right, you guys. Well, let's hop into some server. Submitted. Stories. Oh, he, you picked it up. All right. Oh, great. Uh, first story. Here we go. Hi, Sidework. My name is Pete. First off, love the podcast. Found you gals through LPN, and you've quickly become one of my favorite shows, as well as a cathartic bit of solace amid quarantine. Beautiful. I was just listening to the episode uh, on restaurant bathrooms, and in regards to Andrea's story about the red light bar in Chicago on Milwaukee Avenue, I was wondering if it was slippery slope. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, oh. I'm from Chicago myself, and I've lived in Logan Square area for five years, and the bar immediately came to mind when Andrea described it as a massive uh, attraction right along Milwaukee Avenue, and it fits the description. Red light, check. Disgusting bathrooms, check. Immediate loss of self-respect upon entering a check. 
I'm pretty sure there's plenty of spots that could fit the description. Not really. Uh, but slippery slope seemed like the culprit and I wanted to throw it out there. Godspeed and good tips, Pete. Yes, it is called slippery slope. Um, this was if, if Brooke, you don't remember the all red light bar that was like pretty, pretty, a pretty new build with fancy uh, new bathrooms. They had about six individual singles and all of those turned into the most disgusting bathrooms I've ever seen in my life because those were all red light, too. So people just like piss and fucking walk. You didn't know if it was piss or beer or whatever. It was just it was it was bad news. Um, not to mention, think about you guys and you, Jim, as a bar owner, if it was only red light in your bar, the debauchery mood lighting of it all yeah that's just got uh, first of all that bar name is the grossest thing i've ever heard just makes you think of piss piss bar (laughs) piss bar would be a better name for it i think it's true that's actually like what there is in the bathroom because it's an old bathroom and the floor is like not even so there's an actual slippery slope you have to hang on for dear life (laughs) no thanks Oh, but yes, that is exactly the bar, Pete. Thank you so much for bringing it to everybody's attention. <laughs> I love that. I love when someone's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I used to get drunk at that gross place." <laughs> I better write. I better write into these girls. Um, amazing. Okay, next one, Jim. Would you do All the right. honors? Hey, ladies. I'm a new listener, but I've been loving the show. I've been in food service 10 years now and serving and bartending bar and dining at the same upscale steakhouse for four years. I have a billion stories ranging from performing CPR on a man mid-divorce from his wife to a magician (laughs) hired by a corporate party who became increasingly hostile and drunk and monopolized the entire restaurant three hours past close. But I'll start with a favorite story. (laughs) The old location of our restaurant was in a historical train station that was over 150 years old. It was cool and had a lot of charm, including being on the main bar strip, but that was a logistical nightmare with the kitchen and dish pit being upstairs and the dining area downstairs accessible only through extremely narrow service staircases. Anyhow, the basement was always creepy as it was an old stone cellar that our manager frequently used as an avenue to pull pranks on us. Initially, (laughs) unusual sounds that were coming from the basement, we mostly chalked up to it being an old building. But when some items began to appear strewn around and others began to go missing, we started to joke about the place being haunted. The situation lost its levity when expensive bottles of wine and champagne started to disappear, leading to a lot of internal conspiracy amongst bartenders, servers, and management. One night, one of the bartenders was finishing her counts downstairs when she watched a man move one of the large stones from the foundation of the building and crawl into the basement. (laughs) They made eye contact, she screamed, and he quickly scrambled back out. We realized after reviewing external footage that this man had been living in the cellar for over two months and had been steadily stealing top shelf liquor for his own personal enjoyment and resale. (laughs) He subsisted on (laughs) cocktail garnishes and saltine crackers. We can confirm that there are times he was in the basement while lone bartenders did counts with only one manager, three floors up and out of earshot. We are all grateful that nothing more serious ever happened. But after that, everyone refused to go in the basement alone, despite the hole being sealed off. Godspeed and great tips. Thank you for your hard work, Kate. Holy shit. Wow. This is urban legend shit. Yeah. Like, it is. Wow. I would rather it be a real it's... ghost. <laughs> like, that sounds more Give... appealing than this terrifying saltine man. 
I do like the idea that a manager is like, how the hell did we go through a whole jar of maraschino cherries, cherries in a month? Like, who does that? <laughs> One of those like five gallon. Yeah, those should last us a year. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's so gross. This stuff is so real, though. You know, like our our friend and former co-host uh, Jocelyn, she moved out of her apartment building several months ago. She loved it, didn't want to go, had been there seven years, but the landlord was doing nothing about just some street dude who kept crawling over the fence and locking himself inside one of the cellars underneath. Whoa. Like it was just, it's supposed to sort of be like a tool shed, you know, for maintenance or whatever, but it goes into the actual, it, like the other door comes through so that he can actually be inside the building in the hallways. And he kept just shoving a towel through the hole where the doorknob should be. So they couldn't see the light he was turning on when he was home <laughs> and everyone was, and they're just like, no one's going to do anything like this is a building full of mostly single women. And there's just like a random fucking dude living in the walls. Like, get out of here Yikes. with that shit. Yikes, indeed. Ugh. Urban legend shit. This is the thing where you. Yeah. You're just like, I, I swear. I like I, I did my stuff move like things are disappearing out of my fridge. Like these are the stories you hear. Oh, man. Yeah. This, this is a great just this place in general sounds incredible. Also true. I would love to hear the fights between like the different servers and bartenders and the manager when they were accusing them of stealing the Me champagne. Too. And they're all like, I didn't do it. Like, what was it? The like, ghost? You fucking, like you fucking know that like Tracy did it. Like, you know, it was her. <laughs> she has problems. She's she's such a top shelf. Bitch, she eats all the maraschino you know? cherries. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean cracker hound BVP <laughs> over here? All right, so here's another one from you guys. All right. Hi, guys. Please don't share my name, but feel free to call me A. I started listening to you guys when you joined LPN, and I absolutely loved it. While I haven't been a server, hearing your stories has given me so much more appreciation on top of what I already had for the impossible job you guys do. Even if you don't share this, I hope it gives you a laugh. I wanted to write in after hearing a story on the latest episode about a woman shaving her legs in a public pool. That story came from James. Um, I used to be a lifeguard at a public pool. And through that job, I realized how much of a nightmare people can be to, to just us young kids, literal young lifeguards trying to keep people from drowning when it wasn't parents yelling at me for not letting their toddler go down the slide or scrubbing some person's vomit off the deck. It was cleaning the dreaded bathrooms. And Jim, you know, we did a bathroom episode oh, yeah. last week. Obviously, you you submitted <laughs> stories, etc. Okay. At the end of the day, two lifeguards were tasked with cleaning the pool bathrooms, and it was the task no one wanted. A concrete hellhole from the 70s that had showers and then regular stalls. I'll never forget when I went in after one long day, and in the last stall, someone had literally shit everywhere except the <laughs> toilets. I, 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 like, I, I never, I don't understand people. On the toilet seat, on the floor, in the drain, in the middle of the stall, and they even spread it on the stall door. God. And I want to say this, like, this is so nasty, but I've really been trying to dial into the psychological component of this. You know what I'm saying? Because y'all have been sending stories about this exact same thing from all over the country and the world. So, okay. 
So when I to my pool, okay, uh, and even spread all on the stall door. When I went to my pool manager, all he said was, well, someone's got to clean it. Oh, God. Our cleaning supplies, air quotes, consisted only of thin rubber gloves, some spray Clorox, and a roll of paper towels. <laughs> Sorry, what a nightmare. Don't know how I didn't vomit or catch something, but I cleaned up all that shit and threw it in the trash along with my faith in human decency. Oh, God, thanks for always bringing a smile to my face during the week. Godspeed and good tips. A. Um, there's yeah. like this is like chaos theory, right? Like, right for people just there, to be like the rules don't apply here, so I'm gonna pull, mush my poop all over everything. Yeah, it's it's also right. like a challenge, I, I, right? It's like performance art. It's trying to get it everywhere that it's not supposed to be without getting any of it where it is supposed to be, which is weirdly admirable, I guess. It's it's something. Um, I I. It is a psychological, it, it is an actual psychological disorder that people have. But like I said, I also do think it brings out the weird exhibitionist side in people too. And the thing we can all agree on, which we agreed on last week with, with public restrooms, but specifically in like, you know, bars and restaurants, everyone's attitude is not my bathroom. So I'm going to try that thing I've always wanted to do, but won't do it my own home because it's gross. Um, and, and, and not just when it comes to like this specific, but it's like if someone sees, if someone peed a little bit on the seat, people just keep peeing all over the seat and then it builds and builds and builds and builds and gets grosser all night long. It's a slippery slope, It really is a slippery guys. slope and it is the opposite of you get what you give. I will also add that. <laughs> Uh, but yes, uh, clearly you guys all sent in a lot of gross out stories. Oh, um, I can't which wait. Is great. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. And then when I when I brought up this story to my boyfriend, Sean, he was, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, it's kind of a gross topic this week. And he's like, oh, uh, yeah, I used to hang out at this place in L.A. called the Powerhouse. Love Powerhouse. Love and it. OK, so, you know, it's been rebranded, but he went. Yeah, yeah, he's. So back in the day, it was definitely more divey. His good friend bartended there for a long time. And the bathrooms like didn't have a really good lock because he just barged in, opened it, and he saw little Mr. T, who's a famous um, guy. He was a regular there. He's a he's a little person who is a Mr. T impersonator nice. here in Los Angeles. And he busted in and he was sitting on the toilet, taking a shit and snorting a line of Coke at the same time. So <laughs> classic. That sounds That's like, cool. Bravo. Sounds like what? Oh, my God. All right, you guys, we do have one more story left. This is I'm going to make thankfully AMR sounds. This is a handwritten note that Capri sent us from Ohio. Um, here we go, guys. You're going to hear me do page flips. I'm so excited about this. Hey, page flips? How long is page it? Page flips. No, like, you know, like three. There's like, you know. Hey, Brooke and Andrea, I'll try to keep my story short and sweet. I worked in the industry for around 10 years off and on now, and I have a master's degree in business. And every time I'd quit my real job and go back to bartending, my family was always perturbed. But you two get it. The money is real hard to walk away from. After graduating and working a real job for some time, I was still struggling to pay bills. And instead of bartending, I decided to try my hand at sewing some of my crafts, sewing and selling some of my crafts on Etsy. I've made stuff for as long as I can remember, but never thought uh, it as a source of income until this time. Fast forward to 2016 when I opened a brick and mortar filled with nothing but handmade stuff. 
Through my store, I'm able to help others uh, who make and small businesses get their products in um, and put their name out there in the world. And I make some money on them just like, you know, I do. It's very, it's very rewarding is what she's saying. Throughout the process of opening a store and continuing my own craft, I've always bartended to pay the bills. The store technically isn't profitable yet. There have been plenty of times I've had to take out those hard-earned tips and turn them over to the electricity company to keep the lights on at my store. Age flip. <laughs> then it was 2020. Our bar closed two days before St. Patrick's Day, and I had to ch- I had to cl- also close my retail storefront short af- shortly after. Thankfully, I was able to get unemployment, but $300 a week wasn't going to pay my bills, let alone everything I was still responsible for paying with regard to the store. I had no idea what I was going to do. Which brings me to mask making. My primary craft is sewing, so I got to work making masks with tools and supplies I had at home and was giving them away to anyone that was willing to pay the shipping. I got so overloaded sewing for 16 to 18 hours straight in the thick of it. Oh it hurt my heart, but I had to start charging for them. To my surprise, Aww. no one seemed to care and the orders kept pouring in. I stopped keeping tally when I got to 2,000 masks made. Wow. Wild. Regulars, coworkers, other industry folks I'd met along the way all showed up for me. So many people that I met over the past 10 years bought from me and shared my stuff, which I know led to many more sales. Because of this beautiful network, my business was able to survive 2020. And I'm just so fucking grateful. My husband is an engineer and could never fully comprehend the scrappy line of work that we all choose to do. Anytime I was sad and missing work, I turn on your podcast and feel a little at home for an hour or two of my day. Y'all are so relatable. And sometimes I even imagine all of us working at some dive bar together and how fun that would be. I'm going to cry. I know. Anyway, that's my story. Keep doing what you're doing. Godspeed. Good tips and good hell. Good help. <laughs> hugs and kisses capri uh and we will share her uh instagram for sure for everybody to take part in and see all the cool stuff that she's doing um and she made us some super cool bracelets beaded bracelets that do say side work podcast and established in 86 that brooke and i have already seen and love and adore um thank you capri what a great story that's amazing and uh yeah if you guys feel like writing us something yeah send, send us that snail mail baby. just let us know maybe we'll get a p.o box i don't care if people mail things to my house what are they gonna do go live up in a crawl space in the attic all <laughs> steal your cherries <laughs> yeah <laughs> i just bought Ooh. this jar of okay, six months ago <laughs> ryan <laughs> i do have some bourbon soaked cherries they're the nice. expensive ones i would not like to uh have someone who lives in a crawl space devour actually <laughs> i'd be very upset those are delicious um you guys everything that you sent in this week is amazing thank you so much as always you can write us anything you want to we don't care uh you can send it to sideworkpod at gmail.com or you can instant message us on instagram at sideworkpodcast okay into the main topic Ooh, this is this is all you baby jim we're, we got a lot of questions all right dude. i probably have some answers for you <laughs> yeah, I know. Like you're like still Most learning. Of them will be, um no, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> okay. 
Well, his response of no, don't do it. Uh, that was is in response to the topic of today, which is opening your own place, uh, which Jim has done two times. Yeah, that's two two times too many. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> shave some years off the old uh, lifespan yeah, there. Old, I'm sure a little gray in this beard. Oh, we've all gone gray the past year. Faux show. Um, so before we talk about your specific places, would you, t- you know, basically tell our audience about your serving and bartending background? Sure. Uh, I was working in New York uh, in like a horrible corporate office job that I hated every second of. And <clears throat> um, a friend of mine worked for the Brooklyn Brewery and they were hiring kind of temp bartenders for the Brooke. I don't even remember this, but they did uh, those like summer shows at the Williamsburg waterfront in like the early yeah. 2000, like 2009, 2010 era. Um, yes. And they needed bartenders to like, they set up the beer tents because the brewery was like the exclusive beer sponsor of the, the things. And I started doing that and just loved it and started like taking vacation time from my regular job to like go work these things. And, it was just, you know, such a... Uh, you you sound like Capri from <laughs> yeah. the letter where you're just like, I did have this established right. job, but I'd prefer to bartend. I, and uh, yeah, I quit that job and my manager was like, oh, like, where where are you going next? And I was like, oh, there's no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> fuck, fuck this place. <laughs> um, and I also, around that same time, uh, sort of decided that I wanted to move back to LA and was trying to think of what I wanted to do when I came back. And kind of put it together that like the only time in my professional life that I enjoyed what I was doing was working, you know, like carrying kegs through the sun to, you know, set up these beer tents and like hanging out with my friends and pouring beer for people. And uh, also around that same time, had a couple of friends that had opened their own uh, bars and restaurants. And was like, oh, it's something I can do. Like it had always just thought, felt like a thing that like, oh, I'll do it when I'm 65 and I'm retiring and I want to open up a bar. Right. And then realized like, oh, I could just do it now. So uh, decided that I was going to move back to L.A. and open a bar. But before that, I wanted to really get some like actual bartending experience beyond just kind of working mm-hmm. at these summer outdoor festival shows. Um, and a friend uh, hooked me up with some folks over at Nighthawk Cinema, which is a kind of movie theater yeah. bar kind of combo in Brooklyn. Love. So I started bartending there. And then pretty shortly after that, another friend uh, who owns a bar that is no longer with us uh, called The Drink in Brooklyn. Uh, they also mm-hmm. had a bartending shift open up there. So I worked at both of those places um, for a little over a year. And then I moved back to L.A. and started the process of, of opening Bernadette's. Yes. And I know that's it's like still <clears throat> one of my favorite names for a bar. And I know it's named after your mother. Yeah, correct? my mom's middle name. Her first name is Claire, name. Okay. so I couldn't do Claire's or people would show up trying to get their ears pierced or whatever. <laughs> also, it's not very <laughs> Googleable. <laughs> Tweens, man. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you know, obviously a lot of thoughts come to mind immediately. Like, what is one of the first things someone should definitely have in place when they're like, I like to start approaching someone about opening a bar. Like, I, what's even your first step? Uh, I mean, I would say the number one thing would be like have some bar experience yourself. 
Uh, I think a lot of people right. are just like, oh, I have some money that I want to invest and I'll open, you know, I like bars. I like drinking. So I'll just open a bar and then they have oh no God, idea totally. how to run it or how you uh, to build Raise it. your hand if you've worked for somebody like that. Uh, we've all, we're all raising your hands. Great. <laughs> I, I Honestly, that's the, that's just such, it sounds so no brainer, but so many places are just open by rich, clueless people. And then when you go in there, you're like, I don't understand the vibe here. Right. You know, like what is wrong with this? We place? Mean you don't because understand. It's, someone- it's a place for my rich friends to come drink and do cocaine in the bathroom. Don't you know that? <laughs> That's what I opened. Get to work. <laughs> it's but it's it's so real. There should be some love of the game, uh, you know, which makes you say from your experiences bartending that I want to pull this element from this job that I loved and maybe this element from another. And this is, this would be swirled into my version of a bar. Right. So fucking and, great, you know, great first the step. The experience of building out a bar or a restaurant is just constantly making like little decisions to sort of add up into this larger whole. I mean, you know, this is just a made up number, but you're going to have to make like 2000 decisions over the course of the six months or whatever it takes you to, to open a place. And if you don't have that background or experience uh, and you're approaching it just as like, a, I don't know, I like food or I like beer or whatever, uh, a lot of those questions you're not even going to know to ask yourself or that you have to make those. Right. And then you're going to open the bar and go, oh, shit, I forgot to put this thing in or like, I don't know how this works or, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes tons of sense. Like you're you're just you're 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 going through the motions of it all, right? Yeah. So to speak. Like your maiden voyage, if you will. Exactly. Like um, god damn it. it. And then not only that, you know, uh, this is one of the points too that you know, Brooke wrote down is like you have to do be a certain kind of crazy to to open this stuff up and you know, and you have you have to just dive right in, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of effort and commitment. And, you know, I think you just have to decide that it's something you want to do and then keep doing it even after you've decided that it isn't. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you're like, I'm in yeah, what, what did what I do? I do? Like- <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but back to the, the part about, you know, getting uh, experience. I think also if, if you're currently working a, a, a restaurant or bar job, uh, and you have a decent relationship with either your manager or, you know, even better, the, the owner of the place, like reach out mm-hmm. to them and, you know, get their take on it, see what kind of advice you can get. Like I was lucky enough that both of those, the, the Nighthawk job and the, the job at the drink, both of them, I went into it very openly being like, hey, I'm going to work here for about a year and then I'm moving back to LA and I want to open a bar. So like, can you tell me? Like, as we go through this process, like, I'm going to ask questions about stuff, or if you have any advice, like, please let me know. And they were both very forthcoming about saying, like, hey, like, you know, if I were going to redo this, I would do this, or, you know, make sure you think about this before you do it. I would be flattered as a bar owner, too, to be like, I like your place well enough that I want to work here and I want you to teach me the ropes, you know? Yeah. And then, like you said, I'm sure that they were like, oh, if I did this, I would do all these things differently. Right. So what a what a what a fun approach. I think also, too, a big part of being known in the service industry as someone who bartends or serves means that you've got now a wide network of people who may want to come work for you. And you've already seen and like auditioned them in a way because they are your coworker. And you're like, I know that I like to work with them. They're a trustworthy employee at this job and they'd make a great addition 
to my hiring process, which I think that can be what goes so wrong when it's just some soup, you know, who opens their stupid wine bar and then is like hot girls only, you know, (laughs) and then you've got you've got just like this gaggle of women just looking at their phone being influencers not serving anybody any wine we all been to those places in LA anyways what do you want from me I think too so and I know this is not a one-size-fits-all question in the least but um and everyone has different backgrounds with this but we can't not mention the financial process of like approaching someone to be an investor or applying for loans and how much you don't have to give us numbers, nothing like that. But is there a lot of red tape? Does the city not want people to open bars or are they on your side? Uh, I mean, it depends, I guess, on where you're opening it and how receptive they are to those types of businesses. I know that, I mean, Los Angeles specifically is just a bureaucratic nightmare in a lot of ways. Um, right. Weirdly, uh, the pandemic, I think, has uh, changed that a little bit. There's kind of streamlining some mm-hmm. of the processes that in the past were, were more expensive and more time consuming because they're trying to encourage people to, you know, obviously a lot of bars and restaurants have closed. So they're trying to kind of encourage right. people to to take those spaces and kind of reopen them and revitalize the, the industry a bit. Um, but, you know, there's things like uh, to get the zoning to be able to apply for the alcohol license. So it's like a city process that's like separate from the state licensing board. Uh, you have to go through this whole thing that like, I think the the filing fee is like $1,500 and it's a 16 mm-hmm. month turnaround or something, which is just wow. like a crazy long time. And Whoa. you're not able okay. to make that application in the first place until you have either a lease or you own a place. So you're either paying rent or mortgage for 16 months before you can even like get the process Holy going. Shit. Okay. But here's the catch. LA offers for an expediting fee of only $8,500. Uh, it takes four months. So it's like a legit, like, yeah, it's a nice place you got there. It'd be a real shame if it took you two years to open it. Like, uh. well, and considering the rent costs in LA, it's almost oh, yeah. just like, you well, I guess, I guess, I guess you got me by the gonads with this. Right. So you have to pay the 10,000, mm-hmm. even though it lets them, you know, say that it's only a $1,500. And so anyway, that process, I think after the pandemic, they got rid of that expediting extortion fee. And now it's the whole thing is like three grand. Or something. So it's like, there's just a I lot a of question. stuff like that. I have a question about this. Is this is this to apply for a new business license, like a new liquor license? Uh, for yeah, so basically the way that it works, at least in LA and California, is the city or the county that you're in sort of zones your property that you're renting or own that you own to be able to get a liquor license in it, and right. then you go through the state separately, the state ABC, and they give you right. the actual license. So like. Each individual city is a lot different. Like, you know, Burbank and Glendale have their own like departments that are just designed to help small businesses go through this process and their filing fees are really cheap. But LA, because it's just a giant city with like a huge like bureaucratic octopus with its tentacles all over everything, uh, it just takes a lot longer. So my my in my question about this is because our friend Tom, who owns the Fable in Eagle Rock, mm-hmm. um, has a, was grandfathered his like loan liquor license when he just bought. So that it was it was a different operation because it was kind of just a turnkey. He actually worked for Mohawk Bend for years and oh, years cool. and years. They acquired the space and he ended up buying it from 
from Tony, from the owner. Mm-hmm. So it's his now. And it, so I think circumstances were different, but like, if you happen to like, be like be by the grace of God, like get one of those grandfathered, like sole liquor licenses. Is that just when you're in, you're in, or do you have to wait? Uh, if, if it's already been grandfathered in and it's already been zoned, like you're fine. Uh, and that's right. one right. of the biggest stupid things. I, the, the biggest mistakes I made, I think, uh, is I was like in love with this idea of like, okay, I have this idea for the bar I want to build. And I just want like a blank box to take the idea of a bar that exists in my brain and like fart it out onto this canvas and like make a bar. <laughs> and in retrospect, it's one of the stupidest things I've ever decided because that meant I had to put in all of the infrastructure, all the plumbing, electrical, frame it all out. And like, you know, the, the payoff is that I got the exact bar that was in my brain was realized in this space. Yes. But if I, you know, found an old, like, you know, a Thai restaurant that went out of business five years ago that already had plumbing and sinks and bathrooms and like <laughs> potentially a liquor license, it would have been, you know, a much quicker process. But it took, you know, right. a little over two years to open, open Burnett. Wow. At the same time, uh, I want to say you, Farta Bars was still one of my favorite late night infomercials to uh, to watch if I can't sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of the, the liquor license thing, you know, I know in these large cities that it, it, there are only so many issued in general. And when, you know, some really uh, major players come through, they can do the thing where they auction it off. And if someone's willing to throw down 3 million for a liquor license, that that's how some people acquire them. It's crazy because you are, you are beer and wine. Yeah. We're beer and wine, which is, it's easier to get. Uh, The, the license is less restricted. So they, they issue more of them. Um, And on the ABC side, outside of the city zoning process, the ABC is actually like, pretty easy to work with. Uh, we had pretty good luck with them. Um, and the beer and wine process is, you know, it's much cheaper. It's like 800 bucks or something to apply. Do you have to self, do you have to serve food if you have just beer and liquor or do you not have it to? It depends. There's several different types. There's one that, uh, requires you to serve food. There's one that allows you to, if you want. Um, but yeah, the, the actual like full liquor licenses are a lot more regulated. There's fewer of them. They issue them through like a lottery system, uh, at least here in California, um, they passed a bunch of laws in the nineties that were aimed at like curbing gang violence, I guess. And so part of that was tied up with, they set this like art, really artificially low limit of how many in a given like census tract could exist, how many liquor licenses. And then, and it's super low. It's like three or something for, you know, a neighborhood like Highland park, I think is allowed technically under the law, like two, obviously wow. there's more than two bars and, you know, a place like Highland park, but you just have, it forces you to have to go through the city council to apply for like a variance to get it. So it just adds another layer of bullshit. So that's one thing I would say to somebody that's looking to open their own place is like either do the research yourself or hire somebody like a, a you know, liquor license expediter or somebody who you know knows your area and like how difficult it can be to get stuff. Because, you know, some states, it's like you pay 600 bucks and you can open the bar wherever you want. Other states like California, right. it's like, you know, you either have to enter this lottery or you have to buy it on the, the secondhand market from somebody. And that, you know, you know, some of them are $3 million, but some of them, depending on the neighborhood, you know, it's like 100, 100 grand, mm-hmm. 200 grand, something like that. You just you just plop yourself down at that diet bar seat every single day and make nice with the owner and yeah, get them to leave you everything. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> just just and then assume here. his identity. <laughs> Isn't that? Yeah. I think that's what happened with the. Uh, I, I could be making this up. There's a, a a bar in Highland Park that I believe that's how they got their license. They were just like in, uh, like it used to be a sandwich shop or something, and they were in there talking to the guy. And he was like, oh, yeah, I got this, like, full liquor license that I've had since, like, 1986. And they were like, uh, well, Whoa. hello. <laughs> Just, like, wrote him a check and <laughs> took the place. I don't want to say the name of the place because I might be wrong. But. Wait, is it the place that's the sandwich bar that has, like, the little bar in the back? No, no, no. Is that the? Okay. 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 I'll tell you off, um, off how? Okay. Okay. All off, right. Off record. No Hot problem. Goss as yeah. to after we wrap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, and- Andrea has friends that um, have the gold line. Oh, cool. Um, they own yeah, the gold like line. Place and good spots that's a that's a fun one but yeah because i was like two liquor licenses in highland park not the truth anymore it's exploded since i moved here five years ago oh yeah i mean i like bernadette's and i like gold line for reasons that you walk in and you're like this is an established like divey yet like nicer looking place that feels very Mm -hmm. neighborhoody that i want to hang at all the time you know thanks that's exactly what. oh yeah i mm -hmm. It's exactly what you also accomplished because I, I didn't, you know, a lot of our listeners aren't familiar, obviously, but I have to say on the record that Bernadette's is a gorgeous bar, yet it doesn't feel unwelcoming, which kind of plays into what you need to know before wanting to do this is like you had it laid out, dreamed out your concept, the way you wanted it to feel. You knew exactly what you wanted. And even though you regret not uh, repurposing a Taekwondo studio <laughs> or whatever, um, and you built it from the, the ground up, it's great because it, yeah, I think, I think there are some benefits to it also. I, I mean, other than when you said on your first day, because you have the best wallpaper in your bathroom, and but then someone came and punched all your pictures and then threw them in the yeah, toilet that was, that was a fun day just broken glass uh, and blood everywhere <laughs> like yeah yeah you're like we can't i guess we can't have nice things in the bathroom yeah you know we had them for you're a while like, i mean they were up there I'm, somebody people stole some stuff like the some of the so there's just for people that have never been there uh the bathroom we have uh, this wallpaper that uh, my friend brian casper and uh, his wife, Peyton, have a company called Flat Vernacular. It's a great wallpaper company based out of Connecticut. Um, and they have a, a pattern that's like a demolition derby, like car crash kind of thing. And, oh, yeah. Oh, my like little snips of memory are yeah. coming back to this bar now. Uh, and then we have framed photos uh, in each bathroom of celebrities that died in car crashes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and... They were there for a while and then somebody stole a couple of them. And so we had to like really anchor them into the wall. Um, yeah. Which is, I guess, another bit of advice for people opening a place is like anything you care about, just literally nail it or screw it into the wall because somebody will steal it at some point. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At uh, When I worked at uh, uh, Buca de Beppo for as long as I did. <laughs> Um, that's our Buka Bell. Because it's riddled with like framed pictures everywhere. Just super glued and nailed. Like you would like lose your fingernails like in a silence of the lamb's way, like trying to like pry them off walls. Yeah. Yeah. Not happening. No. It, it, it's part of the build out. It's actually not even attached to the wall. That Just the pieces get delivered every time they open a <laughs> yeah. Buka and it's fabricated mm-hmm. like a Pope hat built into it's just you know. pressure molded into the drywall sheet <laughs> a- absolutely absolutely uh, um but i have to say I, so right like i feel like like your concept and your brand is like is la's dumbest bar is your slogan it's what you're going for and so there's a lot of really great 
purposely dumb things that you offer. And you've got a Garfield clock on the wall. Is it a phone it's or a, a phone. clock? What am I? It's it's, it's the bar. Phone, if you right. call Bernadette's, if you call the number, it's a Garfield phone. It's so great. And and you're very smart to have that behind the bar because someone would oh, absolutely sure. have stolen that already. <laughs> I mean, that would have been on. like day one. Just like. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, and again, this is just us painting a picture and then we can absolutely move on is the, the demonic Nixon, uh, painting that you have. Is it a, is it a velvet painting? Is that what I'm remembering? It's, uh, actually I just had it printed. Like it's a digital canvas print that I had made. I measured I did some like nerd math and measured the pupil distance between his pupils to make sure they matched mine and then cut the eye holes out. And so uh, from behind, there's a little window so you can stick your face in and stare out the painting like a Scooby-Doo villain. Whoa. Which we, that was fun for a couple of months. And then we wound up using, we needed so much storage space in there that we just started stacking wine boxes behind it. Uh, but it's like, it's backlit. So it has like glowing Nixon eyes. Uh, Cause Richard Nixon so was amazing. a human monster. <laughs> yep. Yes, he yes. was. We had a guy actually <laughs> and, who came uh, once and he was like an older guy and he pointed, he's like, ah, Nixon, huh? He's like, yeah, I, uh, I, I knew his mother. And uh, he's like, what, what, a, they're all a very nice family. And I was like, well, not all of them. And I turned around to like pour somebody a beer and I turned around and he had just walked out. It was just a wine glass. It was glass. just like his napkin was like. <laughs> Good evening. I want to talk to you tonight from my heart. So so I, I had also looked up this, you know, very perfunctory kind of like, these are the 10 steps you need to open a bar. It's a it's a very blanket statement, but it's it's all good things to know. But number six on this list is select the right location. A restaurant's location can make it or break it. It's all about visibility, foot traffic. You have to consider that. Were you dead set on a bar in downtown LA? Not at first. I was looking at a bunch of different places. Um, and, you know, I wanted a place because I was going for more of like a kind of neighborhood bar feel. Mm -hmm. I wanted somewhere that had a decent amount of foot traffic and, you know, people yes. live nearby. Um, and I looked at, you know, I was looking all over like Northeast LA, Eagle Rock, Glendale, Highland Park. Echo Park, uh, and was actually in negotiation on a couple of different spots uh, in Highland Park that wound up falling through. And then I was down dropping somebody off at a place downtown one night, and there were a bunch of people walking around. And I noticed we're right on the same block as Grand Central Market, which is like a big mm -hmm. tourist food hall kind of thing that, you know, during the normal times brought in a lot of uh, tourist traffic and, you know, walk by traffic and stuff. Um, but it was also, uh, you know, pretty affordable compared to some of the other areas because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that area downtown was still going through a lot of kind of rebuilding and stuff. Um, a lot of old retail stuff that was turning into residential, mm -hmm. uh, you know, residential condos and stuff. What's that area called? Is there a specific name for that? It's that historic core. Okay. But I mean, oh, probably okay. it's downtown LA, but it's historic right. core is like that area. And you're like, you know, Grand Central Market, Angel's Flight, the Bradbury mm -hmm. building is right there, which is the building from uh, Blade Runner. So there's a lot of like, you know, good, uh, there's a courthouse and a bunch of just cool old buildings. Like I think our building was built in like 1903 or something. Cool. So, yeah. And so, you know, you're open 
Bernadette's is moving along. You're having like regular business. You're you're seeing regulars. You're building a clientele. And then you were feeling high on the horse, high on the hog or whatever they say. And uh, you were like, I should get the space next door and open a restaurant. Sort of. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. How'd that go? (laughs) So it was a couple of things. One was, uh, you know, our original food program was pretty limited. It was uh, we Mm -hmm. have a a friend uh, who actually met through Dave Ross. I'm sure both of you know. Oh, nice. Uh, His name is Chris and he uh, did has a catering company. He now owns a restaurant, but he at the time was just doing kind of on-demand small batch catering. And so we yes. were... I've eaten one of your bar bond meals. Oh, yeah. So we were doing, yeah, just like basically kind of pre-made cold sandwiches. Um, and we were seeing, uh, especially on like weekend nights, even like an otherwise busy Friday or Saturday, we would see this dip from like you know 6.30 or 7 till 9 or 9.30 where it would just be super dead. There's like one or two people in the bar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a psychological element to people that are walking around looking for bars to go into. If you see a bar and there's one person in it or it's empty, a lot, I don't yeah. give a shit because I like bars, but there's a lot of people that there's a psychological element where they're just like, I don't want to be the one, like what's wrong with this place? Or like, you know, I don't want to be in here alone or whatever. So having an empty bar during that, that stretch of time, it sort of, it's a compounding problem because it makes people less likely to come by if they're just kind of out walking around. And we kind of realized that the reason that that was happening is that we didn't really have food. I mean, we had these sandwiches, right. like if you're going out on a you know night on the town with four friends, you're not going to eat four fridge sandwiches and like sit around and mm, very cold. I love it. You know? So <laughs> we were trying to you know, start brainstorming ways that we could kind of improve our food program and get people to kind of stick around longer. Also build out a little bit more like happy hour business. Cause there's a lot of uh, offices and stuff around there. And right around that same time, the landlord uh, who we have a pretty good relationship with, uh, I early on had reached out to let him know that there's a restaurant space directly, like literally shares a walls right next to Bernadette's. And I had spoken to him right as we were first building Bernadette's out and said, Hey, if this space ever becomes available, like, let me know, you know, it's possible that we'd have a concept that would work in there. And so those things sort of happened where he, the guy that was running that restaurant was, uh, his lease was running out and he wasn't going to renew. And we were looking for this, you know, sort of way to extend our food program and it's right next door. Um, And so we took over the space and uh, I guess that was, we took over the space in like December of 2018 and it, you know, already had most of the stuff, you know, big functioning kitchen and walk-in. And so a lot of the infrastructure was already there, but uh, so the build out process was pretty, pretty compressed. I think we turned it around. We got the keys on like December 1st. And then weren't able to do any work until like December, right before Christmas. It was like December 20th or something. Mm-hmm. So we needed to replace some electrical stuff. And then we opened for business. Our, our like friends and family preview was like March 23rd or something. So like in three months, we just slapped together this thing. Um, and it's uh, burgers, fries, kind of like stoner food, late night diner stuff. Great. Um, milkshakes. It, and it sort of evolved over the, the course of you know, the year that we were open. It's currently closed because of the pandemic. Um, right. And we're trying to figure out where it goes from here because, you know, not having a dining room. It's a huge dining room space in the front that's like mm-hmm. basically unusable at this point. So, um, but yeah, we're just kind of pivoting to see what we can do. We're, we've got some people that are renting it on like a temp basis. 
because uh, it's Great. a huge, like, perfectly functional commercial kitchen. So we've got some folks yeah, that are doing yeah. sort of tech I'm, stuff. I'm really happy that you're able to do that, that people are coming in and like rotating through. Um, is it, because you are next door to the space, buddies and Bernadette's next door to each other, is there like a cutout window to, so you can actually get food? Is that or is that something that you would ever do in the future? It was our initial plan was that we were going to have a mm-hmm. kind of pass through window. And then uh, as we were building it out, we kind of looked at how the buddy space was oriented and like how Bernadette's was already built out. And the only places that you could really put the pass through in didn't really the make sense. The yeah. toilet. <laughs> it's just, you lift the toilet up. It's a slippery slope. Yeah. If you do that, I'm just. <laughs> There's a, you know, a dumb waiter under the toilet, a dump waiter, I guess. Um, <laughs> a dump waiter. But yeah, so the, the, the infrastructure of the building doesn't really allow for it to, to happen. But the way that we kind of got around that is we have the, the people and buddies basically pack everything up and like seal it, cover it walk it out because it's literally, I mean, it's right next door. They just make a little super easy peasy. User. Yeah. That's great. Right on. Fuck, man. I love it. I He's miss bars. Miss, I miss bars and restaurants. Yeah. Jim. Me too. Um, and then because we're we'll, we'll wrap up in a minute here. Um, I feel like, you know, like some of the stuff is definitely really no brainer. You know, we walked through the steps. If anyone like even me, you know, I live in Glassell Park and it's a bit of a you know, food and decent wine and and drink desert, you know, there's really only Verdugo bar over here and, and a few other places. And not for long though. I mean, no, I mean, if, if, as long as things keep popping up, but I mean like, yeah, it's like, I, I think in a pandemic when we can't do anything we were used to doing prior to this, I have entertained like the crazy idea of like, food truck or like or if you're like I'll open a bar even though that sounds like the dumbest thing ever people are going to be so happy to go out again yeah. um once it's all clear and the truth is a lot of places didn't make it and which is really sad and like I've described it like not to be a scab about it you know but that you would probably do well and you could make a bar knowing what we now know about pandemics and maybe have a plan in advance for how your restaurant or your business would operate if we ever had to go into a lockdown again, you know? Um, But yeah, I mean, it sounds like the craziest, dumbest idea to want to, you know, keep being a bar owner or look at opening one. But I think, you know, once it's up and running again, and hopefully with a new administration pumping money into, you know, your business and all the other businesses still standing that this could be different and a really hopefully good good things to come for everyone i don't know it's i can't even imagine what you've been going yeah. through yeah it's, it's weird um for sure and obviously frustrating um but we were lucky that the again you know i mentioned earlier that the california abc is like weirdly easy to work with they were one of the first government agencies to kind of respond to the, to the shutdown. And they were basically like, Hey, you guys can deliver stuff. Like they eased a lot of their restrictions on the way Mm -hmm. that you can sell alcohol in a way that makes sense for the pandemic with like delivery and takeout stuff. Um, so which is great because there's no relief happening for businesses like yours. Like what you talk about all the time is there's no restaurant or bar relief. And if you have the ability to sell food and you continue to do it, fine, great. But if you have just a standalone bar, it's so difficult right Right. now. So we were luckily able to kind of pivot and, uh, Bernadette has been operating as a bottle shop for a few months. Yes. 
It looks Thanks. great. Yeah, we had a like a grab and go fridge that was at Buddy's that was just sitting there not being used. And so we moved it over next door to Bernadette's and removed our bar stools and kind of put in some extra shelving. And so we were just selling like, you know, packaged beer and wine to go. Nice. Um, and it's allowed us to keep, you know, obviously we weren't able to retain all of our staff because there's not a lot of hours and it's not functioning as a mm-hmm. regular bar. But we were able to bring back a few people and, you know, give them some hours. So that's good. Um, that's great. And yeah, I think in terms of like opening something now, uh, there's cheap places, there's vacant places and landlords are going to, you know, they'll take, they're, they're ready to, to negotiate, you know? So yeah, you yeah. Can, if yeah. you can, if you have the money, uh, and you have the, the, the will to do it, it's just, obviously it's a super uncertain time, but somewhere like LA, right. there's a ton of backyard spaces there's a ton of like places that have parking lots that are not necessarily being used that you could convert into some sort of outdoor seating so there's a lot of i think opportunity in that in that place um but yeah i don't know it's a it's weird yeah because i was gonna ask like what yeah what's your hindsight after all this and i feel like you know how could you have known how can anyone have hindsight about a pandemic you know coming our way but now that we know what we know, what you just said is brilliant. If you've if you've got space that can be maneuvered or can pivot toward outdoor seating and right. drinking, if this ever you know if the shit hits the fan again with a new version of yeah. some sort, which of I'm always for disease. more of that more outdoor dining and drinking period, like in LA, I, I there isn't a lot of it not. on the east side. So, yeah, it's, it's just it's everywhere. It's the city. Founding. The city makes it very difficult to do it. Mm. And again, it's one of the things that they're changing in, in response to the pandemic is making it easier to get, you know, sidewalk permits and, and do stuff like there isn't a specific sidewalk bar permit. You have to go right. through, you have to tell the city that you're a restaurant. Basically you have to have food. Hmm. That's one of the reasons why we were having those fridge sandwiches is we had to provide food to be able to have our outdoor patios. Right. Yes. Um, which okay, doesn't make any sense. sense in like a, you know, it's part of part of their thing is they're trying to revitalize that that stretch of downtown and like bring back nightlife. It was a bringing back Broadway was the name of the initiative. Uh, it was aimed at you know revitalizing the stretch of historic core on Broadway. There's a bunch of old theaters and like really cool historic spaces, and they wanted to make it like a this bustling like walkable nightlife district. But then also you couldn't have a patio unless you're a restaurant. Right. right. So, and it's like, it's like, that's the energy. That's the energy of New York city in a nutshell. Yeah. Right. And then the whole thing with LA is like, no, 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 no. You must go through the empty bar or restaurant to get to the patio out back, which then feeds into that thing you were saying, where if people see an empty front bar, they're not going to assume that there's like a fucking raging patio. out Right. Back. right. It's so stupid. Everything I personally, and I also think maybe a, a catchy tune, like bringing Brack, Broadway, we got <laughs> any sort of like catchy song like that would really help, especially when we're able to open up again. Right. But I really Absolutely. do feel like we could talk all fucking day about this. But big, I'm geeking out because there's so much I have learned from talking to you. But um, I think, yeah, I think there is a lot to know. And I love your advice. This, uh, would you, what's your advice if you want to open a bar and restaurant again, Jim? What was it? Uh, don't do it. Don't. Yeah. Don't yeah. Do it. Uh, but I mean, a couple of things. I actually wrote just a couple of notes. That, uh, yeah, uh, please. One please. thing that I found uh, is super helpful is 
uh, I was lucky enough to go into this as somebody that's like pretty handy and I build stuff and was pretty active in the build out of both spaces. But I would say if you're going to open a place, either hire somebody that like knows what they're doing in terms of handyman stuff or just teach yourself. It's honestly not that difficult. There's YouTube videos for basically everything you could possibly need to do in a bar, but it's pretty important to be able to like not have to call somebody if you're like, Oh, this faucet is leaking or I need to hang this shelf. If you have those sort of basic like handy handyman maintenance things in your own personal repertoire, it's going to make uh, operating a place so much easier because there's it's a constant battle to like you know fight leaks and clean stuff up and fix things and yes. the customer rips a piece of wood off and you gotta glue it back on and like just knowing how to do that stuff i think is super important um being yeah being willing from the get-go especially if you know you're not just doing a turnkey situation it's really important to be hands-on yeah. and know the ins and outs of your business um uh, i wrote make a budget for the build out and launch and then triple it <laughs> which is somebody gave me that advice when I was doing the build out and I was like, ah, oh, come on. <laughs> it happens. So it's just, there's so many weird fees and things that you don't expect. And you know, you, it, it adds up quickly. And there's a, again, in a place like LA where it's like very expensive just to get through all the permitting and licensing. Yeah. You kind of need to be able to absorb your architect coming up to you and saying like, Oh, Hey, you have to pay this $4,000 fee to the Bureau of who cares to do a, who gives a shit. And like, you just have to, <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Cause that's, uh, just, that's just how, that's how a you lot of stuff. the wheels. Um, yeah, for sure. And, uh, I get, in your 10 tips thing that you sent through, there's uh, some stuff about creating a menu, but it doesn't mention anything about how that menu impacts your costs. So, and another hindsight thing, I guess, is, you know, we opened Buddies and had this very kind of uh, ambitious idea of what the menu would be. And it was going to have all these like, you know, well, late, there was going to be a late night menu that was different from the regular menu. And it's this and, this and like every time you add a new item, you have to buy the things for that item and you have to pay somebody to prep and make that item. So start simple and work yes. your way up to more complexity as opposed to just, you know, we were just like constantly throwing stuff on the menu. And then, you know, at the end of the month, you look at the food cost, you're like, oh, shit, we shouldn't have had 27 things. We should have had, you know, six things. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I, I know people want to come out of the gates big and, and wild and, you know, be like, we offer everything. And it's like, be great and like really solid at six things so then when you're like we're ready to introduce like you will have people salivating yeah. and excited to know that you're about to make a seventh really awesome exactly. thing and then eventually an eighth but yeah yeah it's crazy oh my god so much learning experience I, thank you so much this is uh sure yeah Brooke, are we ready to open a bar? Or are we gonna get yeah. out there and <laughs> it is such it is God, I, I've always pictured it for myself as well. Um we're gonna man, call it, it Sidework does... Podcast the Bar. That's what we're <laughs> the bar. Right? <laughs> and then you can come podcast live. Yeah, it's from a podcast bar. where people go. Every booth every... is actually a podcast. Booth. Right. You know what? It's probably not a dumb idea, Jim. Well, all right, let's <laughs> well, do if it. You, if, let's you soundproof the, if you soundproof the booths, then they're germ free, kind of tucked in your own germy area, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, let's get off. We'll talk some extra hot goss after we get off. Yeah, but right. 
Um, but for now, again, Jim, thank you so much for being here. Sure. I can't wait to get back in your bar. I'm I, and I'm gonna make a special field trip to the bottle shop, pick up some some yummy oh, yeah, goodness for We're sure. Yeah, every day except Monday, noon to six. Perfect. Yeah, I just I saw that too, and I was like, I will get out of my little rut because I hate everything that my neighborhood offers anyways. So come get some nice wine. <laughs> ah, terrible stuff over here. Oh, right. Um, Jim, thank you so much. All like all of our well wishes toward you. Hopefully a few more months pushing through and you can be back up on your feet doing what you're great at. And we'll, we'll come celebrate, cool. take photos. Yeah. It's yeah. Gonna be like the- and be like, look, remember this. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. Well, we're gonna, uh, we'll talk to you all next week. And you know what we say at the end of every podcast, say Godspeed and good tips, everybody. Happy inauguration. Yeah. Thank you.